Good morning. My name is Max Grawane. I'm the Young Adult Ministry Associate at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, and I'm so happy to be here um, going through Mark with you guys today. I'm very excited to get into our word. I wanted to start by sharing just some thoughts uh, that really stemmed from our current situation, but also just reflecting on what we're going to go through in, in Mark 15 today. And that's just that I feel like in life, Sometimes we have some events that are just so huge, so big, that we never forget the moment in time that they happened. Even as I say that right now, I'm sure that there are some of those events that are coming to your minds. I remember being in class in second grade as my teacher went to the, the closet with a radio and shut the door, and she listened to the news of planes crashing into the World Trade Center. I remember that day, my mom picking up my sisters and I from school and taking us home early. I remember in seventh grade when my family was living in Nicaragua, the moment that my teacher stopped mid-sentence as she was teaching a class and said, I smell tear gas. I remember the very classroom we were in as we evacuated to the field. I remember the U.S. Marines rounding up all the embassy kids and driving us through the city of Managua as it looked like a scene from a war movie. I remember sitting in the stairs out front of my parents' house mid-March, just a few months ago, as I got a call from Elizabeth Duncan um, saying that our young adult worship night that was supposed to be that very night was being canceled, that our tribe fellowship retreat that had been in the works for months was also being canceled, that we wouldn't be returning to work from the chapel building for quite some time or even gathering to worship. These are some pretty big moments in time. I remember exactly where I was, the exact moment that those events transpired. I feel like the crucifixion of Christ was one of those events as well. Maybe not for everyone. Maybe not for people that were there they didn't even realize at the time. But for many people that we see in today's passage from Mark 15, it was the biggest event of their life. For disciples who had spent years following Christ and learning from him, in one moment of time, everything shifted. Last week, Claude spoke to us about the beginning of Mark 15. Uh, we left off after Jesus was on trial, which Claude explained was not much of a trial at all, at least not a fair one. Um, in, that, in that segment of text of Mark 15, the people asked for Barabbas, a criminal, to be released as they demanded that Jesus Christ be crucified. And after his sentencing, he was whipped, badly, lashed. And when it came time for him to be crucified, he was barely even alive. And that's where we're going to pick up today, starting in Mark 15, verses 20, verse 21. I'd love to pray for us before we get started, though. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that you see all of us wherever we are right now, whether it be Friday morning or afternoon or a week after we're even filming this, Lord. Uh, you're with us right now. Uh, I know that I speak for most people when I say that I'm, I'm tired, God. I'm tired of being stuck in my home. I'm tired of not eating breakfast with these men. I'm tired of just not being able to see one another, Lord. 
but what an awesome opportunity we have through technology to still gather together, to still dive into your word with one another, to still learn from you. You are a God that is within every situation, and we're so grateful for that. I pray for continued good health, um, or for those who may be listening that don't have good health right now, Lord, that you be with them in the midst of this, in the midst of whatever they're going through right now, Lord. God, we love you and we trust you, and we just know that you're working even our current situation for your good. I ask that you give us great insight into your word today, that lives be transformed by that action that Christ took, that moment in time so many years ago. We are so grateful that it is still transforming who we are. We love you and we're excited for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start by reading Mark 15, verses 21 through 32. Again, that's Mark 15, verses 21 through 32. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge above him read, against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. We start with an image of Simon just walking on his own way. And as he is walking, the Roman soldiers grab him and compel him. They compel him to carry Christ's cross. I think that the use of compel here is very similar to when my fiance, soon to be wife, and um, when you're listening to this, probably eight days away, but when my fiance compels me to run an errand with her, I don't feel like there's a lot of choice in the matter here. Um, Simon compelled a Simon who was made to carry the cross. During this time, there's also a Roman law that allowed for for Romans to make Israelites carry their armor or other things for them. And there was generally a one-mile limit to this law. But after this, they ridiculed Christ. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, which is just twisted and ironic. One of the very gifts, myrrh, that was brought to Christ at his birth is now being mixed with wine as they try to make him drink it. And then they auction off his garments after stripping him and nailing him to the cross. They mock him. They label him a king as he, as he hangs. They hurled insults at, at their passing. I see two things that are very interesting to me in this segment of scripture. The first thing is that Christ fulfills prophecy. And the second thing is that we have a real image here of how sin causes us and causes people to miss out on God. The first thing, 
Christ fulfills prophecy. Claude spoke a little bit about this last week. Uh, He really spoke a lot about how Christ did not retaliate during his poor excuse for a trial, but remained silent. And here we see prophecy being fulfilled in multiple different ways. We see them casting lots for his clothing and insulting him. And we see that he's numbered with the transgressors, literally between two criminals. It's all reminiscent of Psalm 22, specifically verse 18, where they cast those lots and, and insult him. And so we see here just a Christ that continues to fulfill prophecy, just like he rode on the donkey to enter the city of Jerusalem and said, I'm fulfilling a prophecy on a colt. Here we see him fulfilling more prophecies that were written about about the Messiah many, many years before Christ was even born. But the bigger thing that we see here is sin is causing people to miss out on God. They're so caught up in their own authority, so caught up in their own pride, or their preconceived notion of who God is and what their Messiah would look like, that they miss the very coming of God in the form of Jesus Christ that happened right in front of them. Last week, we saw that Pilate was so wrapped up in his popularity and his wanting to do what the people wanted to make them happy that he missed out on the Christ right in front of him. The Sadducees are so wrapped up in their own power over the system that they're in, their own pride in having to be right about everything. They miss out on God right in front of them. And in another gospel, we hear of one robber crucified beside Christ that repents and one that does not. And so we see one robber so wrapped up in putting others down and maybe even justifying his own sin or his own crimes that he rather berate Christ for his own pride. And he misses out on God right in front of him. I know that in my own life, my sin has caused me to miss God to miss God right in front of me, my pride, my lust, my drive for success, my anger are all things that have contributing to missing out on God, on his will for my life, on the work he's put ahead of me, on my own relationship with him. There's an old way of explaining the gospel that I love to use with the students of William and Mary as I minister to them. And it explains that you know, it it helps if you have a chalkboard or a whiteboard, but you have heaven above and earth below and God is above and we are, of course, on earth. And there's a ladder that connects heaven and earth. And it's comparing Christianity with all other major world religions and that most religions, you have to climb the ladder in order to reach heaven or nirvana or enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. And good deeds move you up the ladder, but bad deeds move you back down the ladder. And so you see you're giving to the church and to the poor and to the needy, and that's great. And you're serving those in your household by doing errands for them and loving them well, and that's great. But then there's that moment of pride that causes you to miss out on something, and you're back down one more step. And in most of these religions, It's all about climbing the ladder. In some of the religions, you have one life to do it. And in some religions, you have multiple lives. And each life consists of going up one rung or going down one rung as you're reincarnated again to continue the cycle of climbing the ladder. But in Christianity, we see a different model. 
we still see heaven and God above and earth and humanity below. We still see a ladder, but we also see a God who is compassionate, who knows that we won't be able to climb the ladder on our own. After years of trying, we wouldn't be able to climb it. Our sin just knocks us down rung by rung. And so he sent his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to come down the ladder to get us and to climb the ladder. And what I've also seen is this analogy of as Christ comes down the ladder, we're so focused on the ladder itself and on climbing and on doing it by ourselves that we miss the fact that Christ was right there to carry us up the ladder for him, to live a perfect life that we could never live. And so our sin, as we try to climb the ladder on our own, our sin, our pride, all these things, we miss out on God right in front of us. And we definitely see plenty of people in our story today from Mark 15, our account of history, in our households, in our friend groups, in our own lives, we see sin making it so we just miss out on God right in front of us. The next passage that I'm going to read for us is Mark 15, verses 33 through 40. And that reads, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus Christ, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this was this truly this man was the son of god and there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were mary magdalene and mary the mother of james the younger and of joseph and salome and when he was in galilee they followed him and ministered to him and there they also there were there were also many other women who came up with him to jerusalem Again, so many things to unpack within this passage. I think, well, as, as we've spoken about through our entire study of Mark, that Mark shows us this picture and it teaches us how to suffer and serve just like our Savior did. And we had many chapters, I think it was 11 chapters of Mark that taught us about how to serve like Christ did. And now we see how to suffer like Christ did. And as we look at the crucifixion, of Christ, the death of Christ, we see the pinnacle of his suffering. And as I've read all of Mark 15, I think that obviously the beatings and the whippings were painful for Christ. I think that the insults and the mocking stung him. The crucifixion was excruciating. But I, I believe that the biggest way that Christ suffered was in his separation from the Father. I see another big theme with this scripture, just like we saw that 
sin leads to us missing out on God, we see now that sin leads to separation from God and sin leads to death. As we come up on the death of Christ, we have darkness. And on when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And that means that from noon, from 12 in the afternoon to three o'clock in the afternoon, there is darkness. And this is linked with Amos 8, 9, which states that God will make the sun go down at noon as part of his eschatological judgment. We see a God in the midst of judging here. And it's immediately it's followed immediately by Christ quoting Psalm 22 and asking God why he has been forsaken. And so we, th- we see through this, through the judgment and through the darkness and the forsaking of Christ, God judges Christ for the sin that has been placed upon him, our sin, and it has caused separation. Sin leads to separation from God. And of course, we see death. But we also have this beautiful picture of at the moment Christ dying, the veil in the temple being torn, the veil that separates humans from God's presence. And so we see this picture of through the separation of the Son, Jesus Christ, from the Father, because of sin, we are no longer separated from our God. Christ is separated. Christ is forsaken. That we are not separated. That we are not forsaken from God our Father who is in heaven. And then immediately after we see the Roman centurion realizing that he, that his own sin had caused him to miss out on God. Christ's death holds transformative power. Christ's death held transformative power for the Roman centurion in that moment. And Christ's death holds transformative power for us today. And so we see that the Son's separation, that Jesus Christ's separation from the Father brings us closer to the Father. And in the same way, we see the death of the Son as a result of sin that replaces our death because they were our sins and are our sins. I'm going to continue reading Mark as we really dive into this concept of the death of Christ and and the death as the consequence for sin. So I'm going to read Mark 15, verses 42 through 47. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arathmathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And so I think we're going to get more into this concept of death, but I'd also just love to point out some of the, some of the background information 
that will help us understand this. The first thing is that most times in history, when we look at a Roman crucifixion, we learn that most of the time the body was actually left on the cross to decompose as a warning to others of the crimes that had been committed and the consequences for those crimes. But we also know that in in Israel's law, in Jewish law, it's important that you bury the body by sundown. And so a lot of times there was this exception for, for Jews who had been crucified that they would be allowed to be buried. Another thing that we see that's very interesting here is that Joseph seems to be a reputable member of the Sanhedrin. He's not ignorant to the claims against Jesus. We also see that he's a very pious Jew. It says that he'd been waiting for, where is it here? A respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. That's verse 43. He was actively waiting for the Messiah. He was awaiting the fulfillment of messianic hope. He was looking for the kingdom of God and actively pursuing that. We also in this passage see the assurance of Jesus' death. Pilate is shocked that Jesus died so fast. And again, this is another fulfillment of prophecy that we see in the other gospels that no bone on his body was broken. A lot of times in Roman crucifixions, they would actually break the legs of the body to speed up the process of suffocation on the cross of, of the crucifixion. But with Christ, because of how close he was already to death before he had been nailed on the cross, they never did break a bone. He died fast because he was close to death to begin with. And so we see another fulfillment of prophecy here, but we also see just that Pilate was assured in the death of Christ, because later we're going to see many people claim that Christ never really died, that he was resurrected because he never really died. But here we see Pilate making sure that he was dead and the centurion um, testifying to that as well. But what really lands hard for me from this passage is something that I don't think I'd ever noticed. And maybe you guys have reflected on this passage before and noticed this. But for me, in studying this scripture in order to teach it today, it's the first time that this really clicked with me. We've said that sin leads to death. And I waited till now to really get into that, even though the last little subheading said the death of Jesus. um, And now we're actually in the burial of Jesus. I think that now we really see the meaning of Christ's death. We know that Joseph buried him in a family tomb, in a tomb that was most likely meant for him, meant for Joseph. And he takes Christ and he buries him in the tomb that was built for him. And so in the same way, Christ dies and is laid in the tomb that was meant for you. Christ dies and was laid in a tomb that was meant for me. It is my sins that deserve death. Christ never sinned. Christ did not deserve death. And here, In the same way, it was Joseph's sins that deserved death. It's Joseph's sins that are the reason he should be put into the grave. But it is Christ's body that actually ultimately enters that grave instead. And we see this image of Jesus' death for our sins. Our sin 
should lead to death and Christ dies that death. And so we see a God judging sin in the darkness of the day, but he judged it as Christ took our sins instead of judging it on us. And as Christ died and he was separated from the Father, we, we can have true life and we can have communion with the Father, with God. And so we've seen our Savior serve and we've seen our Savior suffer. So what does it mean for us? In this passage, we have two people that watched Christ die. We have the centurion and we have Joseph. But they both do different things. The centurion watches Christ and his reaction is to have faith. Joseph watches Christ die and his reaction is to take action. And so today, as we have looked at the culmination of the gospel, the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, on behalf of our sins, we also have this image of watching that. We have read it and we have watched it, so what are we being called to do? As you look at the, the death and the crucifixion, the burial of Christ, are you being called to have faith, just like the centurion? to proclaim Jesus as God, to ask him to bear your sins on that cross, that the veil that divides you from God be torn down because of Christ's separation for your sins. Are you the centurion? Are you being called to faith or deeper faith in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection for you? Or are you Joseph? Are you being called to action? Are you being called to acknowledge that he has taken your tomb that he has taken your death. And so like Joseph, are you being asked to step out bravely, just like he did bravely approach Pilate to ask for the corpse of Christ? Are you being called to step out bravely and to take action for the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ? I really want you guys to all take that with you. Truly ask God, am I being asked to take a step of faith in you? Or are you calling me to take action for your glory, God? And that's the good word that we have from Mark 15. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many blessings in our life. We thank you for the ability to gather together. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the nice weather outside right now, Lord. I'm sure that everyone has heard the birds chirping. It's a beautiful day, God, that you have given me the right or given me the ability to enjoy. But Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death, for his resurrection. Wow, the death that we deserved. We thank you for dying that we no longer will miss out on you because of our sin. That we no longer will be separated from you because of our sin. That we no longer will have everlasting death because of our sin. But that Jesus Christ bore the, the weight of all of that. That we can be in communion with you and have true life. Father, I pray for each and every one of us, God, that we truly be able to see after we've watched you die, after we watched the crucifixion, after we read and studied it, Lord, are you calling us into deeper faith in you like the centurion? Or are you calling us to take action for your glory, just like Joseph? 
God, make these answers clear. Help us to lean on one another as we walk in faith. Lean on one another as we take actions for your glory, God. We love you and we want to serve you and we want to suffer just like you did for your sake, for the advancement of the gospel. Pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We'll go in peace, in deeper faith, and in taking action for the glory of God. Amen.